the earth in his hand mountain peaks belong to him the sea and all of the land bow down in worship to him for the lord is great for the lord is king so come let us bow oh come let us bow down and worship and come let us kneel come let us kneel at his throne but he is our god lift up your voices and praise him so come so full right here. It's never this full right here. Why don't you guys get up, find somebody, and tell them good morning. Before creation breathed its first breath, and all there was to be was not yet. You were seated there on your throne, high and glorious, God alone. You're the one I worship and adore. Every moment leaves me wanting more In your presence I am overcome I sing your praise at the top of my lungs Oh yeah, you are
to start off on a Sunday morning with worship and praise, celebration, and you're probably thinking, what in the world is going on? What's on the stage? Well, let me tell you. We have at Carpenter's Way what we call family dedication. At some churches, they, you may have heard it called baby dedication, but this is family dedication. We truly believe that Psalm 127.3, a scripture says that children are a gift from the Lord. And these families are coming here before you today, standing before God and before you in acknowledgement that, yes, that children are a gift, but we need prayer. We need support to be good stewards of that gift. So that is the, um, that's the name, Family Dedication. So we have 12 wonderful families here that I just want to introduce. We do have a gift for each one of y'all. And so, Mary, we are just going to um, go down our line and pass down a gift. Um, a gift is something that's very, uh, we got some help over there. That's, that's totally fine. The gift that we have is a Bible. So moms and dads, we know that um, it's your desire to lead your family in a God-honoring way. And that really starts now, doesn't it? Not when they're 10 or 12. It starts from infancy. And so we have a Bible for an age-appropriate Bible for each of your children just to cherish and treasure so that you can, Deuteronomy 6, fulfill that scripture even now of teaching your children along the road when they're sitting, when they're standing, um, teaching them the truths of our amazing God. So the first gift that I have, just bear with us because uh, this is just going to be a process. Um, 
First family, I'd like to introduce to you are Brian and Angela Haffernick and Big Brother Gibson, and they are dedicating to the Lord their daughter, Miss Ann Catherine. <laughs> Letney and Corey Head and Big Brother Lane, they are dedicating to the Lord their daughter and little sister, Paige Aubrey. Ben Banjo <laughs> and Lauren Hester are dedicating their precious son, um, Jake Everett, this morning. So we have his Bible. And Chad and Teresa Jackson. <laughs> right here. We have precious little Mia Ann. Brent and Heather Cardi um, are dedicating their two children, Miss Carson Schuler and Creed Martin. Okay. And our Pavlik family, we have Clayton and Tyler Pavlik and Big Brother Knox dedicating their youngest son and little brother, Gavin Reese. Okay, we're going to cross the aisle here. <laughs> we have a yeah. <laughs> Dustin and Pres um, Barbara Presley are dedicating their two beautiful girls, Reese Ann and Remy Cole. Russell and Jessica Reed have this precious young lady, Miss Gentry Louise, that they are dedicating to the Lord this morning. <laughs> Jeff and John A. Reich have this precious and vivacious young lady, <laughs> Sierra Danielle. Sierra. Cody and Courtney Stifle, their precious treasure this morning, Miss Brooklyn Lane, that they're presenting. <laughs> David and Melinda Sullivan have three beautiful young girls. Olivia Faith is the newest addition to the family, Ella Hope and Macy Grace. Jeremy and Naomi Torres have three precious children. We have Michaela and Ava and Caden. This is... <laughs> It's so precious. 
it just brings back memories from when our children were younger, and this is a very special occasion. Um, Pastor Mark and the elders, we do want to have a, a, a time of prayer um, over these families and for these families. So, uh, Pastor, I'll turn this over to you. All right, if I can have the elders, uh, lead elders and shepherding elders come up, we're going to pray for these families. And uh, we want to make it clear, one of the things you guys know as they're coming up is, is that we love to see fathers baptize their kids. And the reason is because, men, you are pastoring your families. This would be a really good time to surrender your life to the Lord if you haven't. But to see you up here has given me an idea. And Lisa's taking pictures. And the idea is we're going to put a sign, uh, we're going to put signs all over Lovkin that says, Carpenter's Way, Growing Church the Old Fashioned Way. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. That's a, look at this good-looking group of people. We are so proud of all of you, and our job is to support you and encourage you and pray for you, and your kids want me to shut up so that we can pray. So let's do that. We're going to, uh, uh, gentlemen, if you'd stand behind them and put hands on somebody near you, and uh, can I have you all stand with us? Because we're a family here. If you're visiting, if you're with them, thank you for being here this morning. Welcome to Carpenter's Way. Um, I'm going to ask you to stretch yourself a little bit and uh, take the hand of someone near you. Uh, we're going to pray for them and commit these families to the Lord. You know, Carpenter's Way isn't made up of individuals. It's made up of families. And you may be a family of one or a family of six, but that's, what, uh, that's how God designed it. So our job is to encourage and support. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we thank you um, for the gift of family. We thank you for these children, Father, for the mellow ones, for the rowdy ones, Father, for the privilege we're going to have as a church family to help these uh, adults, these parents, raise their kids. What a privilege. Lord Jesus, you said, let the kids come to me when the disciples thought they were too rowdy and out of control, when they thought you were too tired. And I pray we as a church will always be welcoming of children, that we would love them, that we would disciple. I pray for the moms and dads here who, who aren't sleeping as much, who are a little bit tired and who are wondering if it ever gets better. <laughs> Father, thank you for a growth and maturity. And as someone whose kids are now leaving the nest, uh, all of those precious years that were tiring and now seeing the decisions they're making, what an absolute privilege. I pray for your blessings on these families. I pray that you would provide for them financially. I pray that you would provide for them emotionally. Uh, I pr uh, we know that you have provided for them spiritually, and I pray that they would take that, minute, that seriously and they would walk with you and raise your kids with you. I pray for Alicia and her team as they will come alongside these families and Jeff and disciple these children. And we pray, Father, that they would meet you at a young age and they would walk with you all the days of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I got to tell you, not only do we make a lot of children at Carver's Way, but we make good-looking kids. That's another positive. I'll put a sign like that across somewhere here, too. Uh, I just, uh, I'm not going to do a lot of announcements this morning. you got worship guides as they're coming in. Uh, Merry Christmas. We are neck deep in that season. Uh, we've been to two Christmas parties already this weekend and lots of stuff going on, and uh, we hope that you enjoy the season, and uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about that later. Uh, for those of you who are visiting with us, welcome. 
If you're here in the room or you're on the internet watching, it's our privilege to have you with us this morning. Uh, we're going to be in the book of uh, 1 Timothy, so if you brought a Bible, great, you can start working your way there. If you didn't, it'll be on the screen behind me. We just want you to know we're glad you're here, and uh, in, in a moment, we are going to take an offering, and that is for those who attend here on a regular basis. If you're visiting with us, we just we ask that you not give, and you just pass the plate as it comes by. We're just, we're just privileged to have you with us this morning, and, and we want you to know that our hope and our prayer having been with us, is that you fall in love with Jesus. We certainly want you to like us, but we want you to fall in love with him. So uh, with all that being said, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward, make their way to the front, and I, I do want to give you some highlights of upcoming events, how our Christmas season is going. This week, uh, Wednesday night, we have a big student party that takes place at our house in the Stringer's house, uh, so we don't have any more uh, adult Wednesday night Bible studies until the first of the year. That's in the worship guide as well. But our events, uh, here's the events the next couple weeks. Next Sunday, we're going to have our, our Carpenter's Way family Christmas. We encourage you guys, if you don't have a church home to come, uh, we have, our kids are doing some music, uh, we've got drama, it's gonna, and we're going to sing a lot of choruses. It's going to be a wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, as usual, it'll start at 930, uh, and uh, we'd sure love to have you join us. And Carpenter's Way folks, uh, come early, bring your friends and family. It's going to be a wonderful morning. Um, and then, as you know, Christmas this year falls on December 25th. And whenever it does that, we do something very unique, and that is that we have a watch night service. Uh, that's pretty traditional in liturgical churches. Uh, but Carpenter's Way, on the nights, on the days that December 25th falls on a Sunday, we do our, our candlelight service at midnight. So this year it's going to start at 11.15, and it will end at, the, at midnight. Uh, and I know some of you are going, oh, my kids will never handle that. Put them to bed, keep them in their PJs, bring them in. It's going to be a blast. We've decided this year at 1030 to 11, we're also going to have hot chocolate and cookies and, and cider, and we're, gonna make, we're just going to have a good time. Um, Christians for the last 2,000 years have often had services in the middle of the night in order to call in the, the, the day of, of Christ's birth. So it's a wonderful opportunity. It was such a success last time. We're going to do it again. So uh, we invite you to join us. This room will be full of candles and singing and videos, and it'll, it'll really be a great evening. So that's the events the next couple weeks. Uh, the, the other thing I'll give you a heads up on is the following Sunday is actually January 1st. <laughs> so um, we're going to, I'll be preaching, and behind me will be the Rose Bowl Parade. You can, you can watch it while I preach. I just lied to you, but you can record it. Um, but we will be having uh, just our service that morning at normal time, uh, 9.30, and then uh, there won't be any Bible study that morning, so you can get home and, and cook whatever you cook for that day and, and all. But uh, that's our holiday schedule There's in the worship guide. You know, we have a movie night coming up in a couple of weeks, too, for a Christmas movie. So check out the worship guide. Y'all are welcome to join us, whether you're Carpenter's Way or not. We're just uh, honored to have you with us, and we want you to celebrate the season with us. Um, the only other announcement I want to make, and this is to Carpenter's Way family, so if you're not part of our family, just zone me out for a second. Uh, each time at the end of the year, often we fall behind in our budget, and we did that this year, so if you're able to help us with a year-end gift, that would be great. If not, uh, I'll lose weight. It's not a big deal. I know some of you think I should anyway, but uh, again, if you're visiting with us, if this is not your home, just pass the plate. This, we, we really don't want you to give. The Salvation Army can use your money, and, and we're just glad you're here. Uh, the, the budget, we take care of missions across the globe and our own stuff, and and uh, that's, uh, that's our responsibility. So thanks for being here. I'm going to pray and commit this to the Lord, and then we'll take our offering, and we'll continue on with our service this morning. Lord Jesus, we love you. Um, we thank you for loving us first. We thank you that we can gather uh, weekly to remind each other that God's love never changes, that you sustain your love by your character, uh, that you couldn't stop loving us if you wanted to. 
And Father, we don't understand the passion of Christ, the deep desire to have a relationship with us. We, we're constantly being told in religious circles that we need to find you, when in reality you sent your son to come find us. You sent Jesus Christ to seek and save that which is lost. And I thank you for that, Father. And I pray that at this Christmas season we would realize that in a new way and that we would appreciate the fact that you understand the difficulty, the trial, the frustration of life, and you sustain us, you encourage us, those of us who are your kids, that there can be peace on earth upon those whom your favor rests. And I pray that each and every person in this room and those watching would come to know you as their Savior if they don't, and if they do, that today would be a great day of encouragement for them. So we love you, Lord. We thank you for all these kids, these families, these people, and we ask you to bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. 
have a uh, rule at Carpenter's Way uh, that if I'm wrong with something I teach, that I will correct it. And uh, tomorrow, this morning is, is two of those occasions. Um, be, and it, it ca- caused quite a stir last week. I understand one Bible study class brought out maps to make sure that I was inaccurate. Uh, I sustained a head injury recently, and I told you last week that I was in a crash, and I was going to Dallas. I was returning from Dallas through Nacogdoches, and I want to thank every one of you who took Bible study hour to figure out that I was wrong and email me independently to let me know, or if there's a faster way to Dallas than you've ever been. It was Tyler. It was not Nacogdoches. Thank you for noticing. I also would like to correct something that I said this morning. Actually, it's not a correction. I was more right than you thought. December 25th is always Christmas every year. Thank you for laughing at me. I sat down and I said, did I say something stupid? Everybody was giggling. She said, yeah. So on the 24th, we're having a Christmas Eve service at 11.15 to midnight. Join us. I I love, (laughs) I love Christmas. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's really a, a fun time of year if you don't let it get to you to go into the stores and listen to music. Everywhere you go, people are theoretically, they're happy. We had our neighbors in last night, and uh, all of our neighbors showed up, and we just got to know them a little bit and, and uh, spent some time eating their cooking. And uh, that's the trick. You have them bring food. I mean... It's just a great time of year. You know, even, I know some of you are thinking, well, for some folks, it's the most depressing time of year. I get that. But for all of us, it's also a really cool time of the year. I mean, Hallmark Channel has been hijacked. Uh, The same movies they show the rest of the year, only they put a Christmas tree in it, you know? Uh, You find your high school love that went off to be a lawyer and things didn't work out, comes back to a small town, multimillionaire. I I know because I've seen all of them, same storyline. Um, I was thinking this week about Christmas and through the years, and, uh, um, well, I, I came across this picture um, that reminds me of Christmas. This was in 2003, and that is my son, who is now turning 21 in a month, a couple months, and my daughter, who right now in the back of the room is horrified that I'm showing her in her PJs. Uh, and then I came across another picture. Yeah, now my wife is mad at me. <laughs> Christmas in Ohio, I remember, I, I remember that. Uh, other Christmases, other pictures. Bill, put the other one up. Uh, that's, that's Annie. That, <laughs> she ate too much candy, had an infection, it went in her hands. Every time she hits something, you guys see the Hulk fists? Every time she hits something, it would make the Hulk sound. I remember that. And then my personal favorite. <laughs> yeah. I have a picture, I just, Zach will be home next week, and many of you would tell him that I showed this. I don't know if he's watching. Is he watching, Julie? He's watching. So Zach needs to send me a special Christmas card, because I have a picture with him wearing those that I didn't put in front of you today. (laughs) And uh, for the awe effect, the, the final picture, Annie is an angel. Yep, she played the part that Christmas well, and we've been recovering ever since, that little devil child. Actually, I have very good kids, but I, I mean, these, it, it's Christmas, you know, you look through the pictures. Uh, for those of you who don't have Apple TV, I am a tech junkie, and we have Apple TV, and, and uh, we have a, a relatively decent-sized television over our fireplace, and I've, 
Stop it. It was on sale at Sam's. It was a good deal, okay? It would almost be wrong not to have bought that oversized, beautiful technology. If there is not big screen TVs in heaven, I am going to be one disappointed little boy. <laughs> Thank you for those of you who've been to my house. Uh, but uh, I, we, I like to connect during seasons of the year. I'll, I'll connect to my Apple TV is connected to it, and you can put pictures. And I'll take all the Christmas pictures from childhood and just just kind of let them scroll through and. And my kids get sick of looking at the same pictures, but actually sometime during the season, we'll find ourselves sitting in the living room, thinking back over all the Christmases uh, that we had together. Um, I love Christmas. I, I love family. Um, actually, it, it's kind of funny, but Thanksgiving is my very favorite holiday because it's turkey. I, 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 we've we've deep-fried turkeys. We, you taught us that, and they are good. I, I agree. They taste better, in fact. But what you don't have is while you're watching the Macy's Parade, the smell of turkey going through the house. So we, we roasted some of you going, oh, yeah, we do. Well, you shouldn't be deep frying a turkey in your living room. <laughs> that is ridiculous. But I, I, I love the holiday season. And you come across stuff like this, and you read this card, and it says, may this Christmas bring the message of peace and repose. Merry Christmas. Um, there's so many things in the air during this time of the year that bring warmth to my heart. There's only one problem. I have no idea why it really brings warmth to so many people's hearts. I mean, the fact is, I'm not even sure I understand what peace and repose with Santa actually brings a person. I mean, I, I know it's romantic, and, I, and, and, and if you, I, I, I really, I, I'm not going to trash the season, okay? I'm actually going to build up the season, so just bear with me. But I, I think those Hallmark movies are cool. I mean, I, I told you a couple weeks ago, what I like about them is we'll sit, and you don't have to worry if somebody's going to lose their head. It's, it's just simple. And they're romantic. You can turn your brain off. And that, Christmas is nice to turn your brain off. It's nice to relax. The rest of the year we're running and, and always trying to accomplish stuff. seems like a Christmas we can slow down, eat candy, even if you're a diabetic, because I know I'm good friends with an endocrinologist, and she expects your numbers to be high after the season. You can relax a little bit. It is a great season, but what is the message of peace and repose that Santa actually brings? What is it? I mean, this ad actually isn't for children. This is an ad. It's for adults. And I, I think sometimes we, we romanticize something so that we feel something without thinking about what it is that we feel. I want to start by saying I actually like the millennial generation. I think that they're committed to doing stuff. They want to experience stuff. The problem is that we've turned ourselves into a culture of feeling into fact instead of fact driving our feelings. We, we just want to feel. I just want to feel. I feel like this is right. I feel like this is good. And we're losing order even in the church that God designed for us. Um, In, in even the message of the church often in Christmas, or even in the gospel, we tell people to run to God, he'll make your life better. He'll fix your marriage. If you obey the Ten Commandments, it's a better way of living and things will work out for you. And when we hear that kind of talk, it, it warms our hearts. We, when we hear a preacher get up and fiery proclaim that if you do this, God will do this, 
And if they can throw a verse in it, it's like, yeah, I like that. It makes me feel good. I have people at Carpenter's Way uh, not stay because they'll often say, if I don't feel, if I don't feel conviction, I haven't been to church. Well, for a little more money, we'll beat you up and send you home, and then you'll really have a spiritual experience. I mean, I, I know we're laughing, and you're laughing because we don't often think about what it is that we're saying. We don't often think, um, I'm going uh, to really make some, some of you uncomfortable here, but there's a song that, that I like. We grew up singing it. The Old Rugged Cross. I will cling to the old rugged cross. And some of you are going, yeah, I love that song. Well, I just want to make it clear that if you cling to the old rugged cross, you're going to get splinters, not eternal life. Too often, we romanticize things and we assume certain things about things without thinking about what things we're saying. Because we just want to feel peace on earth. Um, we want... We want what we want, so we change the message of the gospel at times to be what we hope it is, not actually what it is. Um, it, we look for preachers, we list, read books, we create thoughts in ourselves that may warm our hearts, and we walk away from, I don't know what the Bible says about that, but I just feel, I, I hear that all the time. I just believe God is like this. And I want you to know, that just because you feel something is true or you believe God is this without scriptural proof, it doesn't make him all of a sudden become that. Um, the church of Ephesus was actually doctrinally on part. If you look at the book of Ephesians and the letter Jesus wrote to them in Revelation, they were doctrinally on point. They had one problem. They were wandering away from the simple, sound truth of the gospel that they had been taught, and they were moving into speculations and thoughts that teachers were giving them based upon feelings that they had. They were taking pieces of scripture and adding to it because culture and time had changed, and they just felt like, gosh, this must be true. Uh, let, me, let me take you to remind you what Paul said to Timothy, young pastor Timothy, that he sends to the church to clean up this kind of stuff. In 1 Timothy 1, 1 to 7, he wrote this, this letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed to the by the command of God our Lord, our Savior, and Jesus Christ, our Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, peace, uh, mercy, and peace. When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let them waste their time in endless... Now you're going to find out what they were teaching. We've been talking about this for three weeks now. Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. But some people have missed the whole point. And he's talking about their teachers. They're off message. They've missed the whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses, but they don't know what they're talking about, even though they speak so confidently. That was pretty much last week's message. We talked about it, and if you haven't been with us and you're interested in this, uh, you can get the archive on the internet. You can watch it. Uh, I know we're going slow for those of you who've been with us, but I got to tell you something. We are now about to re-enter this kind of thinking in the church. 
We're about to re-enter a time where we begin to decide what's true as churches based upon what we feel to be true, not what the Scripture teaches. The Word of God, as we go through Timothy, Paul is going to tell Timothy that even if I come back to you and I teach something different than has already been taught or I stand against the Scriptures, even if an angel comes, don't listen to us. Stick with what you were taught. And some, there's, a, there's a lot of pressure in the church today, not in Carpenter's Way in general, but just in general, there's a lot of pressure in this country to put on a face, a face of friendliness and gentleness, and, and we're walking away from the call to confession no matter what your sin is. The, the truth is, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from unrighteousness. The problem with mankind is not that he's gay. The problem with mankind is not that he's a murderer, an adulterer, a pornographer, or a liar, a thief, or even a glutton. The problem with mankind is those things manifest themselves in the lives of a sinner. It doesn't matter what your sin is unless, unless that's, I mean, whatever it manifests itself as. I mean, uh, there are lots of symptoms for cancer. And if all you do is deal with the symptom, you haven't dealt with the issue, right? Well, the church today likes to deal with symptoms. We like to argue about homosexual marriage. We like to get on people's case. We like to talk about patriotism. The problem is that none of those things are really the problem with mankind. The problem with mankind is the judge is, is waiting to judge. And unless people understand that he also gave a gift, Jesus Christ, and offers forgiveness, they're going to face the judge. That's the problem with mankind. And Satan has got us off message. He's got us arguing about, well, what's God's view on homosexuality? You know what? God's view on people is you're a sinner and I want to save you. That's the point. You can name the sin. You can color the sin. You can whatever. It's, it, it's just that we, in this time that we're looking at, the, the, they were beginning to talk about, you know, the law of Moses. If, if you truly understand, I got a new word from the Lord, and we're going to teach you what the law of Moses is. And, and, Mo, and Paul writes and says, Timothy, you've got to go train them what I taught you because they are clueless yet. Yet they are acting like they know so much, and they don't. They're speaking confidently, but they don't know the truth. And today, too many people are blogging and speaking confidently about things that they simply don't understand anything about. How can I say that? Well, do you know more than them? No, but I know what the scripture says. And that is final authority. That's final authority. There's too many people feel, uh, uh, feel things to be true about God and people, and they're being passed on as biblical truth when you walk into Target at the religious session, section or a Bible bookstore or on the radio. And they're people you like, and, and, and you like to hear them, and it sounds so romantic and warm and fuzzy what they're saying, and you kind of think, oh gosh, yeah, that's a friendlier face of Christianity. But the truth is, unless people confess their sins, there's no, there's no forgiveness. And I'm sorry if that bums you out, then walk away. I don't know what the value of religion is. I, I, I do, I look at the Christmas cards. For instance, peace on earth, and you forget, we talked last week. Peace on earth, the actual the angel said, peace on earth upon whom God's favor rests. And, and, and I, I don't, I like that my neighborhood is happy during this time of the year. I'm just not sure why they're happy because in January, they're gonna have a credit card bill of about $1,500. Well, we, we enjoyed dinner together. Well, how was your family Christmas? Oh, Uncle Ed showed up drunk again. I mean, just, there's just a point where you've got to step back and say, wait a minute, there's real hope available. Real, real hope. I mean, real, 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 real hope. There's peace available. Not, not, not seasonal peace or temporary peace, but there's real peace. And friends, what we offer the culture and the world is not better drama or, or better stories or better coffee. What we offer them is the opportunity to know the God of the universe who sent his only begotten son to die for them. The ultimate Christmas gift. 
And whether you're rich beyond your wildest dreams as a child or you are poor beyond belief, peace is through God's Son, Jesus Christ. And that is the only message of the church. New wrong things were being taught in Ephesus, wrapped in the verbiage of Christianity, like the well wishes of Christmas all around us today. May the message of peace and repose make you happy this Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Okay. What the heck does that mean? Jeff told me this week. He means, he told me, he said, repose is reflection. You know, you're reflecting. What am I reflecting on? Santa's on the card. Well, you're reflecting on when you got that toy. I remember the best toy I ever got was uh, called a Whirlybird. Anybody remember that? It was a little yellow helicopter on a metal thing, and I had a, all it was was a control. I controlled it, and then it would go in a circle. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. It would go around and around and around until I realized that going around is boring, so I tried to see if it would cut things, like my finger, carrots. Whirlybird lasted six hours. It was a great six hours, but it didn't last long. I'm reposing on that day. I just, I just want us to, to start thinking again. As a culture, at least as Christians, that there's so much available to us that we never even talk about or think about in Christ. So much more to Christmas. The message of the gospel is not that God will make you happy or successful or even religious. The irony is, for Stephen, it meant his life would end. The message of the gospel is clear, and I'll read it to you in a few moments. But the teachers of Ephesus were claiming to be teachers of the law or the Ten Commandments, and Paul said they had no idea what they were talking about. And the church was listening and following. Uh, We're going to pick up where we stopped last week, verse 8. We know that the law is good when used correctly, for the law was not intended for people who do what's right. Take a deep breath. I I want you to think about what he just said. The law, the Ten Commandments, was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality, or who are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. I just want you to think for a second. Do you realize how off-message the church has been, at least in my lifetime, on the Ten Commandments? When I was growing up, I was told that the Ten Commandments are a guide to help me live. Anybody else taught that? That as a Christian, they're still the values of heaven, so you need to follow those. The only problem is, that is not at all what, the, what Paul says. I mean, again, religious feeling. Well, are you saying we shouldn't follow the Ten Commandments? I'm not saying anything. I'm telling you what Paul is saying about those. Verse 9 again through 11. The law was not intended for people who do what's right. It's for people who are lawless, rebellious, ungodly, sinful, who consider nothing sacred. And we can ask ourselves, well, why is it for them? That's right. They should know they're doing wrong. Well, Romans 3, 19 and 20 tells us what its purpose is. The law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God, for no one can ever be made right by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law, the Ten Commandments, was actually purposed so that we could look at the law and go, well, I, wait a minute, 
I'm not good enough to go to heaven. I'm not good enough to have a relationship with God. And those who thought they were good enough, Jesus dealt with. When the religious leaders came to him who had kept the Ten Commandments from childhood, they would walk to him and say, oh, good teacher, or I kept the law. What else must I do? And Jesus would say, oh, good for you. Now sell everything you have and give to the poor. Remember that little story? Sell all you have and give to the poor. And in an instant, Jesus showed that guy that he wasn't keeping the law. Or for other, teach, uh, other religious leaders, Jesus said, uh, have you committed adultery? Why, no, Jesus, I would never commit adultery. Have you ever lusted after a woman? Well, maybe you've committed adultery. Oh, the standards are higher now. So now that I've never committed adultery, you're going to call me an adulterer because I've lusted? And the answer is yes. Have you ever murdered? Probably nobody in this room until you see Jesus' standard for it. And he was clear in the Gospels when he said, if you've ever hated somebody, you've committed murder. The problem isn't whether I think that's fair. The problem is he's the judge. So as you're here today and you're going, well, I've never killed anybody. Well, Jesus calls it murder if you hate somebody. Remember what happened when I cut you off in traffic last week? Well, it wasn't hate. It was rage. Or your iced tea wasn't cold enough. Or you got... Sweet tea when you ordered regular tea. Or the person in front of you was taking too much time, returning their gifts, whatever it is. The fact is, we just don't measure up. And that's the purpose of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments weren't given to make you religious or clean or moral. They were here to show you you aren't religious enough, you aren't clean enough, and you aren't moral enough. And much like, may the season bring you warmth, yeah, it brings you warmth. And yes, the Ten Commandments can make you religious, but it cannot make you right with God. We can't afford to forget that. We can't afford to forget that. My son has been asking me now for three weeks whether or not I bought tickets to the new Star Wars movie. I haven't bought them yet, but we will go. But the ironic part is, I actually think that the one and a half minute trailer is going to be more exciting than the whole movie. I mean, they get the music, they've got Darth Vader. What more could you ask for? The thing we've got to understand, I'm trying to help you understand, is there is truth. There is truth, and, and that's the job of the church. Not necessarily to first and foremost go out there, but the problem with the church is that we're here together, we gather on a weekly basis. Remember, this series is called It's Personal, Not Business. The reason we gather is not to build bigger churches or to grow a church. It's not actually even to reach the lost. The reason we gather together is to remind each other how we got found. Because that changes everything. When you are reminded on a regular basis from whence you came and how you brought, were brought life, how you were resurrected through Christ, it changes the way you look at Christmas. It changes the way you look at the waitress who isn't giving you the service that your $4 deserves to have. It changes the way you look at the cop who pulls you over. It changes the way you look at life. All of a sudden, people become ministry opportunities instead of hindrances to your joy. Because if the focus of your season is to have peace, that you create by lots of gifts and lots of food and lots of atmosphere, then people really do get in the way of your goal. But the goal of a Christian is to tell other people that there is peace on earth upon whom God's favor rests. And it's, it's not a new problem for us to be distracted. Satan's been doing it forever, and you see it right here. In the same way, that we have people throwing out warm, fuzzy notions about Christmas, 
For too long, the church has thrown out warm, fuzzy notions to the world of what obeying the Ten Commandments or being moral or being Christian offers you in this life. There's one purpose for the law, according to Paul, and it's to show every one of us that we're sinners. It is to show that we have a need for spiritual intervention. It is to show our need for God the judge to intervene on our behalf. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. That is what this is about. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, Paul wrote, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. You know why Paul is so passionate? Um, the New Testament, Paul writes most of the letters. Most of them are deeply theological, and most of them are written to churches he's concerned are out of line. And he's concerned that they're losing their point, the focus of our message. So he writes to them. And do you know why? He actually answers that in 1 Timothy 1, 14 to 17. Oh, how generous our gracious Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that came from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everybody should accept this. Stop arguing Calvinism versus Arminian. It doesn't matter. Stop arguing whether tongues is for today or not. That's between God and his child. Stop arguing about whether or not the rapture comes before the tribulation, middle of tribulation, or there's even a rapture. Stop it. The reason it's unclear in Scripture is because God didn't want to clarify it. Wake up, church. Wake up. There is one message, and all should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's it. That's the message. And I am the worst of all, Paul says. That's why Paul's so passionate. He's looking at the church of Corinth and he's going, are you kidding me? Are you so together, Corinth, that you have time to argue whether or not a person should get married or not because maybe they have more time? I mean, it's just, it's just one thing. Should a Christian sue another Christian? And in every one of those things in Corinth, he's not actually answering it for the church. He's going, who cares? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Live for God and not yourselves. Throughout history, the church keeps trying to redefine doctrine and theologies based upon what I want to experience. If you come from, an, uh, from a charismatic background, you've done that. Well, in our church, we allow freedom. There's a church in this community that says, our church is where God reigns. Well, that's good. The rest of us are just doing it because we want to do it. I mean, think about what, what the, I mean, the fact is, for some, it's like, come to our church, we are filled. I get that question a lot. Are you, a filled, with the, are you filled with the Spirit as a pastor? I know what they mean. It's just bad theology. Yes, I'm filled with spirit. You're a Baptist who speaks in tongues. I've never spoken in tongues, but I'm filled with the spirit. Well, how do you know you're filled with the spirit? Well, because I have the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And then we're off to the races right there. But you know what they're asking. What kind of Baptist are you? Are you a good Baptist or are you a conservative Baptist? And there's Baptists who grow up in the church going, we don't allow for emotions in our church. What are you talking about? Jesus wept over Jerusalem. This is an emotional relationship with God we have. Everybody's fighting for their doctrinal stand and they've left the word of God. They pick a verse here and we pick a verse there to prove our point, when in reality, the whole book clarifies that you don't have to know everything. In fact, if you did know everything, you wouldn't have to be a man or woman of faith, would you? If I just knew what tomorrow would bring, I would be much more happy. But what if God doesn't want you happy? Do you ever think about that? Well, why wouldn't God want me happy? Did you want your kid happy every day? If you actually fed your kid what would make them happy every day, actually, that is his own curse. You're dealing with them as adults now in the reality that you are not, the world does not exist to make you happy. 
I mean, the truth is, Jesus Christ came because his dad sent him to save us, to make us whole, not to make us happy. Why are we still here? So we can drag as many people into our family as possible. And the message of that isn't the raptures before the tribulation, whether you believe it or not. I'm very conservative in that. But you notice that I don't preach on it. Why? Because it's not in the Bible. It's just not. Wait a minute, preacher. I'm preacher, and therefore it must be in the Bible. No, that's not how this works. That's exactly how the church has treated doctrine. If I believe it, it must be in the Bible. How do you know it's in the Bible? Well, I had a pastor once tell me it was in the Bible. I grew up under Tim LaHaye. Doesn't mean it's in the Bible, my friends. The word rapture, I-O-A, that's Greek, that I made up. It's not in the Bible. His return is in the Bible. You can take this and this and this, and you can come up with a theology of that, but at the end of the day, it's not clear. And do you know why it's not clear? Because he didn't want to make it clear. Trust him. Peace is found in trust. Dear God, if you give me a better job, I will learn to trust you. <laughs> Mom, if you'll just give me that cookie, I will like you more. Ever hear that? No, you haven't heard that. Well, maybe you've asked your kid, why, why do you act like you hate me so? Because you don't let me do what I want. Oh, okay, now I understand the rules. It's not my job to give you whatever you want. It's my job to make you great. That is your job as a parent. You knew that, right? It's not to make them play first base in the league. It's not to teach them how to kill deer. Okay, sorry about that. It's, it, it's not, it's not to, to, to give them and leave them a billion dollars of your money when you die. Your job as a parent is to raise great kids. Godly kids. I, I, I talked to some of our parents this morning. And it's, I know you're tired. And I'm going to tell you what I told a couple of them. For me, every age, like, age group got better. I mean, I... I'll be, this doesn't make me a good dad, but I remember when they were babies, it's like, okay, do something. I mean, Julie just loved cuddling the kids. I'm like, okay. I wanted them to do something, except throw up. That was boring. <laughs> I wanted them to do something. So, so the second Christmas, not the first one, the second Christmas is just starts getting epic. You know, that's why you buy them gifts, because so they can open them. It, if I could do it again, I would wrap up balls of foil in Christmas wrapping. They don't care. It's like, oh, next gift, you know. But every age gets better. You're raising them to get better. You're not raising them to be good at home at three. You're raising them to be great outside of the home at 18 and 20 and 30. Don't, don't lose it in the romance. Your job isn't to make a great five-year-old. It's to make an awesome, godly 30-year-old. And that takes tough times when you're five and six and eight. And yet we, we act like God is different. Like like his goal is, oh, my kids are unhappy. My kids are safe. Well, what about Stephen who was killed? What are you talking about? Stephen, come over here. He's not dead. You see, what we've got to remember, friends, is it ain't about this life. We've bought into YOLO. You only live once. That is a lie for the believer. If you're not saved this morning, you do only live once. If you die without having, allowing God to deal with your sin... It's true. My advice to you is drink up. Party on, Garth. 
because this is as good as it gets for you. And people laugh when I say that. They think I'm kidding, but I am actually serious. This is the closest thing to heaven an unsaved man or woman ever experiences. On the other hand, brothers and sisters, this is as hell-like as you'll ever experience. Who told you it was supposed to be easy? This is war, boys. This is war. I'm sorry, ladies too. <laughs> yeah, I'm a sexist. I'm a recovering sexist. The truth is, this is war. It's war. We're at war. And your kids, surprise, have a sin nature. You know what the reality is? If you don't think your kids have a sin nature, even if they're six weeks old, you hold that bottle six inches from their face. <laughs> You'll see a sin nature. But it's, they're, they're unknowing. They don't know that they're... That is rebellion, my friends. They're hungry. It is what it is. You want to make them... You want to see anger? Put it towards their mouth and pull it back. How do I know that? Because I watched Julie do that a few times and it wasn't nice. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just reality. And, and, and we are covering reality with warm fuzzies that aren't true but do make us feel better. And it's time for us as believers who know the truth, the way, and the life, the ones who know the truth, who've been adopted by him, to declare truth or at least believe it. What a privilege to have neighbors into my house last night. And, and uh, believe it or not, I didn't preach. I should have, but I didn't. And I, it was cool. I think most of them are believers. But I just, I just got to tell them the reason we had you in is because this is one of our favorite holidays. Because this is when our Savior, Emmanuel, God came to be among us. And I got news for you. Most of us forget what the purpose of that is. He did not come as a baby to save you. He came as a baby to relate to you. He died on the cross at 33 years of age. Then he floats up into heaven after the resurrection. He could have floated down at 29. But he has lived every moment of life just as you have. He has experienced pain and rejection and loneliness. And Isaiah says he experienced singleness. He said that he had no offspring. And here, I, I'm stretching. I'm, I'm taking a stretch. This is Mark Wilkie. I might be wrong. But I'm not. I'm just kidding. I might be wrong. But for Isaiah to say that, that he had no offspring tells me that it bugged Jesus the man that he didn't have offspring. He looked around and he said, man, everybody else has got kids. Well, I didn't come. Okay, I came to do my father's will, which he says at least five times in the Gospels. Remember that? Do you know why he has to remind the disciples I came to do my father's will? Because he had a different will. In fact, one time he calls Peter Satan. You sound like Satan. Get behind me. Because Peter was tempting Jesus to do what he wanted to do, not what his father wanted him to do. You want to know the reality? The reality is that it was the father that sent the son. We look at the guy in that picture, and that's exactly what he looks like. That's actually a photograph. <laughs> well, you're laughing. That really is. It was hard to get. But we look at Jesus as the one who loves us. And, and he does. Don't get me wrong. But the reality is Jesus didn't come because he loved you. He came because his father sent him to save you. It's the old man that we think of just as a gray-haired, grumpy guy that actually loved you enough to send his son to kill him for you. You see, Christmas isn't really about Jesus. It's about the Trinity. And it's also about the Father who said, Son, what I'm about to ask you to do, no, what I'm about to order you to do is going to be complicated. And over the season, I've been trying to remind you, and I want you to walk through the theology with me, and then I'll get back to 1 Timothy, and we'll wrap this up. But I want you to understand that there is a specific reason why Jesus Christ left us. It is the Father who wanted to adopt you. To do that, he had to pay the price. So he sent his son to take the penalty for your sin. Christmas he was born. 
Easter, he died and resurrected. And then after that, Jesus said, and I've told you this before, he said over and over, I've got to leave because I've got to send somebody greater. And I want you to understand why he had to send somebody. Why is the Holy Spirit greater? Because Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of the Father, telling the Father what it's like to be human, what you're struggling with. And when you fall, Jesus doesn't go, boy, Mark screwed up again. He goes, well, that's a hard temptation. The Father then, according to Hebrews, instructs the Holy Spirit on how to guide and lead me in my life. This is a relationship between the Trinity so that they can have a relationship with you. This is about relationship with God. And peace is found in that, not in St. Nick, who was a real character in Scripture or in history. You should study him. It's true. Um, 1 Timothy 1, 14 to 17. Let me, let me read this for you again and then. I want you to see this. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that came from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everybody should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me <clears throat> so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience even with, um, with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All honor and glory to God forever and ever. He, uh, he is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Amen. And when you're reading this, you get a sense that Paul for a moment forgets that he's teaching Timothy and he loses himself in a sense of worship. I did not ask Jeb Stringer if I could use him, but I'm going to use him anyway because he lives next door and that gives me lots of time to make up. Uh, Steve Hicks is another one. I didn't grow up in East Texas. You know that from my accent and how fast I talk. But you know, one of the things I've observed about many of you is having grown up in East Texas, y'all know each other. For those of us who are new Lufkin, not old Lufkin, old Lufkin has a problem. If you were a jerk in high school, and then after high school you get saved, people still see you as a jerk. There's been multiple occasions, and Jeb and I have talked about this, and I've, he shared his testimony here, so I'm going to use it, and if, if he gets mad, that's okay. I'm still going to steal his wood from his backyard when he's asleep. But, <laughs> but the, fact is, the fact is that there's been multiple people going, uh, man, I'm, I'm, it's great to be a carpenter. Say, what brought you? Well, I, you know, I just walked in one day, and when I saw Jeb Stringer here, I knew I could, it was a church I could go to. I mean, I was never that bad. <laughs> have we not heard that, Jeb? I mean, is that not what Paul is saying? That's exactly what Paul is saying. I mean, the reality is, what we do is we live among them. We don't run from them. We don't hide away under the Ten Commandments, the umbrella of the Ten Commandments. We go out, we invite them into our homes. Yeah, but my neighbors don't like me. They knew me when. Or it's kind of embarrassing. Don't be embarrassed. Where is a badge of mercy? You are the redeemed. We are the redeemed who don't deserve it. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, killed believers blaspheme the name of Christ. He's going, God uses me as an example. It's not fun to have people go, you're such a fraud. It's not fun. But they also don't know what they're talking about. Because you've been changed by God. We, we forgot that what we do isn't talk, it's what we live that matters. We thought that declaring a value system was the most important thing when Living the value system is the most important thing. We, we want to go into prophecy and why we vote the way we do and politics and our view on homosexual marriage and all of those things may have some value, but at the end of the day, they have no spiritual value. What does have spiritual value is you 
presenting the world a picture of a man or woman who has been given mercy and grace that they do not deserve. That's the truth. Well, I don't like people thinking bad of me. Well, I started this message by confessing you can't get to Dallas through Nacogdoches. I am constantly screwing up. And let me tell you something. In East Texas, this is it. I thought you were a pastor. <laughs> Shut up. I am a pastor. I'm not going to your church. That's good. Where do you church? First United Methodist. I was joking. That was, that was a little funny right there. You didn't think it was funny. Did you not hear it? Let me try it again. Where do you church? Where do you pastor? First United Methodist. Okay, I'm not going to ever do that joke again. He can't even write Pastor Timothy without worshiping God, and I love that. Do you remember what God saved you from? Do you? If you were writing this to Timothy, do you remember what God saved you out of? What did God save you out of? Where were you? I don't mean location. What did God save you out of? Oh, he's preaching. I think he wants us to answer. He does. Somebody tell me what you were saved out of. I'm sorry? Hellbent. What did God save you out of? Pride. Depression. What did God save you out of? Infidelity. What did God save you out of? Fear of dying. What did God save you out of? The same stuff that's going on out of there. There are people in this room that have been saved out of homosexuality. Stand up and own it. Because the church doesn't believe that God saves homosexuals anymore. Prove them wrong. Stand up. Who you were and who you are matters. And that points to the baby in the manger. Because he is tempted the same way we've been tempted, except he didn't sin. He gets it. And then he died. He sits at the right hand of the Father. That's what this is about. And those are the facts. Not a romantic notion. Not a drama. Not a song. Not a postcard that really doesn't make sense. We're talking about real transformation, real hope. And this church in Ephesus had lost it. He tells him in 18 through 20, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. That's all God is asking from you today. Cling to your faith and keep your conscience clear. Cling to your faith. Cling to what you know is true. It's been true for thousands of years and ain't going to change because society changes. It's still true. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so they might learn not to blaspheme God. We don't know much about these guys. We just know that they were two faithful church members, maybe leaders in the church, who actually decided to change their view on sin, change their view on the Ten Commandments, and as a, re as a result, didn't lose their salvation. It says they shipwrecked their ministry. They shipwrecked it. Here's a flash. You can't be a family counselor if you're on your seventh marriage. That's called shipwrecking your life. You can't be a shepherd who claims to encourage people in their faith if you're not a man or woman of faith. These people were walking away from the truth. They shipwrecked their faith. That's why I beg of you this morning, brothers and sisters, whether it's Carpenter's Way or where else, or, or, or you're looking for a church, I just beg of you, before anything else, you are a child of God if you have accepted his offer to forgive you. Cling to two things. Number one, what you know saves you. Wear it. Own it. Proclaim it. And second of all, keep your conscience clear. You do not 
have to fall back in infidelity. You do not have to go back into pornography. That will shipwreck your faith. doesn't mean you're going to hell. It just means it's going to affect the way you minister to people. It's too important. That's all you're here for. He'll take you home when your task is done. Stay committed to the truth and keep your conscience clean. There are too many bloggers and debaters shipwrecking their ministry and their testimony. We've got to get back to telling people that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. I urge you, and he goes on in chapter 2, verse 1, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceable, peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. So pray. Pray. If you voted for Hillary, pray for Trump. If you voted for Trump, pray for Hillary. They need prayer. Pray for Bill Clinton. Pray for, I don't remember their names in the Green Party, sorry. Pray for these people. Pray for our mayor. Pray for our, 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 our police. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for the people you don't like. Pray for the person who cut you off in traffic. Pray for the ETMT who comes to you in a car accident. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your children. If I do that, I'll, I'll never be able to look up again. Nobody said you had to close your eyes and bow your head. Talk to God. He's with you all the time. Talk to him. This is what that looks like. Hey, it's great to see you, Connie. Are you having a good day? I'm having a great day, Mark. Okay, got to go on shopping. Lord, be with Connie today. That's praying. You turn on the news, and, you're, and, and your eyes roll back in your head. Here they go again. Pray for them. Make God your partner. Your life partner, your daddy, wants that kind of relationship with you. Go to him. Pray for the church. When people make you mad, pray for them. Oh, I don't like them. Pray for them anyway. God loves them. Pray for them. I love it. It's so simple. Pray. Three through eight. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he what? Gave. It's a gift. Gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at this picture. Now this is a Christmas card. Jesus was God's gift to the world, not just for Christmas, but for every single day, your whole life through and even beyond for all of eternity. Now that's a Christmas card. That's truth. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. First uh, Timothy 2.7, last verse. And I have been chosen as a preacher and an apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I am not exaggerating. I'm just telling the truth. That's your task. So here's my encouragement to you. Our culture is in a romantic mood right now, even a religious mood. Your family, your friends, the cop who pulls you over, the grumpy girl at Starbucks. Don't tell her your name is Merry Christmas, okay? <laughs> Made her say it. It's clever by half, like some of my jokes. Just tell her your name is whatever your name is. And when she hands you your coffee, look at her and say, in the eye, Merry Christmas. And mean it. God will use it. God will use it. Invite your neighbors into your home. Tell them to bring a dessert. Just have them in. Provide coffee. 
Just have them in your home. Well, I, I don't know how to throw a party. Don't throw a party then. Throw a coffee thing. Invite them in. Build relationship. Share this with your family at the Christmas table. Tell them the story. Invite people to our family Christmas next week if you don't know what else to do. Invite them here. It's going to be fun and cute. We'll have a bunch of kids like this morning on stage and somebody's pants will be half down and another kid will sneeze and, and another kid's going to sit down and we're all going to go, isn't that cute? But the words will be true. It is cute. And we're going to have a drama that's very, uh, very Nancy Mize. It's very heart-wrenching and beautiful and powerful and reminder of the truth of this season. And then we're going to sing. And for those of you on Christmas Eve, who are going, I, I don't stay up that late. Come on. This is cool. Think about the opportunity this year to actually, actually out of character, out of the ordinary, to bring your family to church at a weird hour and sing songs and be reminded, oh yeah, that's right, this isn't just about gifts. This isn't just about romance, it's about Jesus. There's something radical when you do something out of character. Invite people. Fill the room with people, more people than candles. Make us turn on the air conditioning units. Let's celebrate Christ this Christmas. Let's tell the truth. Life is hard. God is still good. And I get to tell people that. What a privilege. The visitors are wondering if he ever stops. He's stopping. Listen, <laughs> obviously we need an altar call. For those of you on the internet, somebody just clapped when I said that. <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> I love this church. Oh, I don't have anything else to say. Let's close in prayer. Listen, listen, Merry Christmas, you guys. I, I know some of you are traveling. Um, and no, we're not going to put our candlelight service on the internet. That's intentional. This is just our service. We're, uh, be here next week if you can. Bring somebody. Bring five people. Let's, uh, let's pack them in. Let's put them against the walls. And if not, whoever's here, we're going to have a great time. Um, please, don't get lost in the romance. Jesus Christ came to save you. <laughs> he came to get you. He came to get you, not to condemn you. He came to get you. Because his father said, go get him. Go get her. Okay, Dad, I will. That's Christmas. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us that much. Father, thank you for loving us that much. Holy Spirit, thank you for reminding us this much that we are deeply and madly loved. And Father, forgive us for the, for the decades that we have been off message, arguing theologies that we cannot, we cannot re resolve because you have not clarified them enough for us to resolve them. It is enough to proclaim that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here this morning. God bless you. See you Sunday. <laughs>